Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 365. I'm Rachel Heron. I am beyond thrilled that you are here today. This is a really special episode, y'all. Today, I'm talking to my friend, Mona McDermott. You've heard me talk about her on the show here before. She's amazing. Uh, I met her through my classes and we have become friends and I have taken classes from her in poetry. She's the one who unlocked poetry in me again. Um, She and her partner helped me and Lala move overseas because they are good at moving overseas. They, they, They move around the world quite a bit, most recently and longest in Japan. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, I was on her podcast last year. Her podcast is called Ease Lessons, and I highly recommend it. I had three episodes over the course of three months as she coached me through really being stuck on a book, (laughs) the book that I am currently now rejiggering and revising and putting into proposal shape so that my agent can take it out but it is only done, I swear to you, because of Mona. Her help also helped me write The Seven Miracles of Beatrix Holland, which is now sold and will be coming out next year. Oh, wait, in 2025. So it'll be out in a while. But Mona is an incredible person. And from her, I have learned so much kindness, so much ease that I am able to give myself now. And I loved this conversation. So that is coming up. Please stick around for that. (laughs) You're going to love it. I can't wait for you to hear it. Uh, We talk about all sorts of things like um, love tricking. We talk about her gorgeous new book, which I truly love. We talk about the different kind of bears. Uh, Are you a bear number one or a bear number two? Stick around and find out. We'll talk about that. (laughs) It's so good. I wish that I could have this conversation all over again for the first time, but as it is, I just get to listen to it again. And I don't frequently re-listen to my own podcast because no, um, but this one I will. So what else has been going on around here? I just wanted to share a couple of things that I have been thinking about and doing. I have been reading a book called Time Surfing, which is, you know me and time management and productivity, all that kind of stuff. This is time management from a Zen Buddhist perspective. And I have really gotten a lot out of it. It's a small book. It's a sweet book. It's really about being in the moment and entering each thing that you do, whether that is dishes or working on your novel or going to work or driving, entering it with a calmness underneath, (laughs) which God knows I need and I am always striving for. I really, really am enjoying the book. Time Surfing, can't remember who wrote it, but I think it's the only book with that title. And there are a few things that I don't quite agree with. He has this he has this idea that if you think of something that you need to do, sure, while you are building up your time surfing skills, you can jot it down on a list so that later you can check and make sure you did it. But of course you will have done it because of this process that he teaches you about visualizing, doing the thing, and then waiting for the correct and easy time to do it. I love the concept, love the concept. And I don't think the man has ever heard about neurodivergence, ADHD, anything like that. That's that kind of thing might not work for all of us, but the reminder to do what you're doing while you're doing it and 
not to try to do all the things at once. Oh, it's a perennial reminder that I need. So I've been enjoying that book. I also want to re-recommend something I have recommended very heartily on this show before, but there's a podcast called Nothing Much Happens. And a couple of months ago, I was having trouble sleeping again, trouble falling asleep, trouble staying asleep, trouble continuing to sleep in the wee hours of the morning, all of that. And I remembered, it always takes me a while to remember the things I need to remember, but I remembered how much this podcast called Nothing Much Happens has helped me in the past. The host and writer of the show, Catherine Nikolai, has been on this show on episode 240. It's a delightful episode if you want to check that one out, if you haven't heard it. But what she does is she writes a very small, quiet story full of delightful, cozy things. And then she tells it to you twice. The second time she goes a little bit slower. It's about a 30 minute podcast. And so you hear the story twice, except I don't hear the story twice. I, I don't even hear the story once because over the course of a few weeks, you're, it's really brain training for sleep. And now she starts speaking and I'm like, oh, I am so awake. I am going to hear this whole story about the back porch and how the garden is starting to grow and what seeds are going to be put in and where did that bird fly off to? I'm done. I'm four sentences in. I have no idea what happens. And sometimes I wake up in the middle and I think, oh no, I'm awake again. I'm going to listen to um, the cat that she sees prowling the edge of the garden. And oh, no, there I, there I went. I fell off into sleep again. It's so good, y'all. It is making me feel so much happier and so much healthier. Um, I just realized that the sun has taken over the computer. So you can hear me slide the curtain across so that anybody who walks, watches on the podcast can still see me because I went into um, blown out sun mode there. But so I just wanted to mention that again, nothing much happens. Podcast, try it out, set it on the sleep timer so that your podcast shuts off after the podcast. If it accidentally runs into the next podcast, ooh, that can be, that can be jarring. Um, but please enjoy that if you haven't already. And yeah, so I've just been teaching and working on fixing the book that is right now called The Fix and in the hopes of trying to get a proposal for it off my desk in the next uh, three to five weeks is what I'm hoping, looking at my time that I have available. So that's exciting. And um, yeah, that's what's been going on around here. I'm impatient to get you into the interview with Mona. So let's, first of all, and very importantly, thank new patrons, um, patrons of all shapes, sorts, sizes, for any amount of time that you have ever been a patron or ever might be a patron, I want to thank all of you. It means so much. It's this vote of confidence that you like me and that you want me to continue to do this and to continue to write the essays that I pour a whole hell of a lot of my heart into. So to Jill, I wish for you that your writing becomes a magic wand that transports you exactly where you want to go whenever you want to go there. And for Sarah, I wish for you the delight of watching your ideas take shape on the page, forming, if not exactly what you want, then exactly what you need, what those words should be in the most delightful way. And for my friend, Bram, I wish for you that the words you shape will mend your heart, Kintsugi style, one tiny crack at a time, where the mends are visible and prove that you have loved. All right, let's jump into the interview with Mona. Here's a little bio for her. Mona McDermott is a Canadian writer and international school counselor who has lived in Colombia, 
Mexico, Spain, Thailand, and Japan. Currently, she and her partner live in a tiny apartment in Yokohama, Japan, and an old wooden house in Nova Scotia, Canada. She believes in the healing power of poetry, the sea, and a roaring fire in a wood stove. Her work in all her roles is focusing on helping humans learn how to be kinder to themselves. The 38 Impossible Loves of Naoko Nishizawa is her first novel. I've seen her bio before y'all, but I hadn't ever, I hadn't looked at it closely for a while. And I love that line she has in there. Her work in all her roles is focused on helping humans learn how to be kinder to themselves. What did I say at the top of the top of the show when I hadn't really read the bio yet? So uh, she's doing excellent, excellent work. Please enjoy this interview. And I wish you all very happy writing. Do you have a book you want to get out into the world? Do you feel overwhelmed with which way to go with it? Should you hire an editor? Should you search for an agent? What goes into being traditionally published? Should you think about self-publishing? What kind of marketing will you have to do? How much does all of this stuff cost anyway? So my class, How to Publish in Today's Market, will answer all your questions. It'll soothe your worries and it'll give you a roadmap for moving forward. This is the same workshop I've taught at Stanford and UC Berkeley, and with more than 20 up-to-date modules and my own down-to-earth yet enthusiastic encouragement, you'll be able to make the best decisions for your publishing career. It's currently 50% off for listeners of the podcast. Just go to rachelherron.com slash publish. You'll get immediate access and all the answers you've been looking for all in one place. That's rachelherron.com slash publish. Go check it out. I literally could not be more pleased to welcome this guest to the show. My friend, will you please say your name and your pronouns for me? I'm Mona McDermott and my pronouns are she, her. Mona McDermott, welcome to How Do You Write. I, we were just chatting a little bit before and saying, I was saying, I cannot believe you haven't been on here because we've done other things. We've done your podcast. I've been on your podcast and like, unzipped my heart. And we have talked about <laughs> writing for so long and we have taught classes together and I have been in multiple of your classes, but this is the first time we're sitting here chatting together on this show. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, I'm I, super excited to be here. I am so thrilled to have you because there's something very special happening this week. Your first novel is coming out. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's <laughs> okay. I, you know, you say that and I know that that's true. And yeah. I think probably for all debut authors, this, there's this little part of it that like this little part of us that doesn't quite believe it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. What percentage is that? Do you think, is it like a 1% doesn't believe it or 72%? No, I think I've got it down to 5%. 5%. Okay, good. Yeah. That sounds like yeah. a, a lovely number. All yeah. right. We're going to, we're going right. to talk about all things writing. Um, but instead of talking about your book at the end of the show, like I tend to do, I would love to talk about your book at the top of the show. Could you please mm. tell us the title of your book and give us a little log line? Sure. So the title of the book is the 38 impossible loves of Naoko Nishizawa. And it is the story of two high school girls, 16-year-olds, uh, Sky and Akari, who meet at an international school in Tokyo. And while they're becoming friends, they find a journal 
which belongs to someone, Naoko Nishizawa, and they start um, reading the entries to find information about this woman so they can get her journal back to her. And of course, in that time, uh, life happens and, uh, and there are clues that take them in the wrong direction and things are revealed about the girls to each other, but also to themselves. And uh, so it's a, it's a book about friendship and about uh, understanding, learning about and understanding ourselves. And it's a book about Tokyo. I really do think now, especially reading through the book now, I see that Tokyo is a character, yes. which is really lovely. And um, yeah, it's a, it, I remember when you and I first started working together and I, and I told you about this book, you said, oh, it's a love story. Uh, it absolutely is a love story between yeah. two friends. Yes, yes. Yeah. And you and I bonded a long time ago over the love of many, many similar things. But, you know, Anne of Green Gables is, is not a small thing. And I see in I see in everything that you write this this beautiful love that happens between people. And you have poured your love into Sky, who is Canadian like you, and Akari, who is Japanese, and they they meet at this international school, which is perhaps a little bit like the international schools you have taught in in Japan <laughs> for years and years. Um, but but I, I I was I was thinking about this right before we started. I don't know if I have heard or perhaps I've forgotten because of my um, bare bare very little brainness sometimes. What was the initial kernel of inspiration for this book? Oh, that's lovely. I will not be the first person who sat across from you in a podcast and said this book started uh, during NaNoWriMo. Oh, so it yeah. Was, yeah, it was NaNoWriMo 2014. And I really did it in that kind of classic way, which is, you know, around the end of October, you think, hmm, Maybe that would be a good idea, <laughs> right? Maybe, maybe I'll give that. Maybe Lots I'll give that a try. <laughs> and also, you know, my my work at international schools is as a counselor, so it's about like big life stuff, but also university applications. So there couldn't possibly be a worse time to take on NaNoWriMo than November, right? When students are writing their essays and sending their applications. So I just jumped in. So I think that um, I. Th you know, it's, and also let's be clear, it's nine years ago, I started this book in 2014. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the sort of setting and those characters came really naturally from my life, from the students that I spent all day with every day. Um, and from the kinds of things that come up for them. And also, obviously, also for me in my longer life. Yeah, there is there's such a loveliness to this. And I want listeners to understand that I, I read a lot of books and um, sometimes I feel like I should for different reasons. And your, your book, I jumped at the chance to read it and blurb it because I'd already seen little bits and pieces of it. And I was already in love with it. But I think I, I may have texted you while this was happening, but I, did I tell you that I read it in one day, which is just yeah. not like me. I really tend to parcel books out over multiple days and I got into bed and I don't know if I was fighting the blues or a migraine or something like that, but I fell, I fell into it the way I used to fall into books when I was that age and reading books. And I 
was living inside it. And I love these girls. I do not say that lightly. I, you have done a spectacular, magnificent, glorious job on this gorgeous book. And it is really up there in my top 10 reads of the decade. Oh, Rachel, thank you. you, Take that in, feel that because it is true. This is one of my favorite, favorite books and the cover is amazing. Um, Everything about it is amazing. And you have I've just loved watching you walk forward toward this. And it has not been without bumps along (laughs) the way with this book. Can you talk to me a little bit about a couple, one or two of the, or or seven, I don't care how many, um, of the hardest things you've gone through with this book? Mm. Sure. I think, I mean, the funny thing, of course, is that this book, this first book is my only published book. So, Mm -hmm. um, so I, there's, there's kind of a, a a cloud burst of things. And I'm not sure if it's about (laughs) impossible loves or if it's just about first book, but I'm aware that I didn't, I didn't know how to do things. And so, you know, right. You're just walking through a process and you're like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I know that I'm at the next step and I don't know how to do this. Um, certainly that's why I started working with you. I had written several drafts of the novel, but I was aware that in my, um, in my revisions, I wasn't really making the novel better. I was making the language prettier, uh, but I, mm, I yes, knew that that yeah. wasn't, that wasn't really making the novel, um, as good as it could be, which is why, why I started working with you. Um, so yeah, there's been that feeling like, oh, how do I do the next thing? Um, having faith in myself that I could uh, write a real book, said every first time author ever. Uh, there's, you know, the, the, these characters have become, you know, real to me, uh, Sky and Akari, and they're very different um, young humans. They come from different backgrounds and, uh, and they, they really do represent real kids that I that I know. They are not based on a kid or even kids, but they um, but they do represent the kind of hearts of those kids. And I wanted to make sure that I was skillful enough as a novelist to put out a novel about these kinds of students in these international schools. It's kind of a secret world, international mm-hmm. schools, right? kids from many, many different countries that study together, generally speaking in English in different countries. Um, Yeah. No, it's not that I felt any pressure. That's all me. It's all that I wanted to make sure that that was right. Um, I I hired two sensitivity writers. Sorry, I hired two sensitivity readers to read the novel because I wanted to make sure that... um, I, to be clear, I've lived in Japan for 10 years, but I wanted to make sure that um, that it really read well for them and that I hadn't got anything wrong. And that if I had, I had a chance to correct it. Mm-hmm. So that was, uh, I, I guess that's a, a, a sort of pressure from myself as well that I felt. Um, what does it yeah, feel like I, to you? Oh, go on. Sorry. Nope. Nope. That's good. What does it feel like to you? Because as you said that, um, you know, these characters are real to you. And this is something that can continues to blow my mind and I don't have good language around it. But I'm wondering what it feels to you, if anything, to know that these characters now feel real to other people. 
like me and like your partner and like the, the your sensitivity readers and and soon the world these these are not characters that I just read on a passing whim just to pass an evening and it wasn't really a great book it was a great book and I love them and I'm sad that I don't get to hang out with them anymore so what does that feel like to you to hear about characters that that you dreamed up yeah like really wonderful <laughs> yeah honestly wonderful yeah. I um one of the loveliest things I did um advanced reader copies because I I wanted to send the book out to a few um to a few folks um, that also helped me catch small errors, but was it will also be really important to me as a as a first time novelist to have a few reviews, um, you know, as the kind of novel gains some momentum. And uh, one of the women who read the novel early is um is also a counselor and a friend, and she just left me a message on WhatsApp, and she was crying, and I thought, oh, I'm oh, oh no, like really. <clears throat> When people leave you a voice message on WhatsApp and they're crying, it's normally not good. Yeah. And she just said, I loved your novel so much. I just finished it. I'm still crying. And I thought, oh my goodness. Uh, that is the dream that I've had, right? That the 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 love that I put into that book and the and the kind of feeling that I got from those those characters as I was writing them is something that people are actually experiencing. So uh, that makes me feel very happy. And listen, girl, I know this book is not going to be for everybody, right? This is um, this is like when you said Anne of Green Gables. Maybe you didn't say it, but you, <laughs> I did. But yes, you yes, might have yes. said it. Anne of Green Gables, like that's not everybody's vibe, but. Um, it's a lot of people's vibes, right? Not just teenagers, <laughs> but uh, like women in their 40s and 50s and beyond who um, who love a tender story in which um, nobody, um, nothing blows up, right? Nobody falls out of a building. That's not going to happen right. in this novel. Yeah. But um, yeah, it felt awesome. And also, <clears throat> and I will say, Rachel, one of the things that we talk about a lot in your classes is... Um, like how to kind of how to do our own individual dance with it, with our individual need for external validation. So I so I love that that's the response, and I also am very close to the point where um, I will try to unplug from. Do you know what I mean? I will yes, try to I unplug do. from a lot of that. Mm -hmm. And um, and honestly, I don't mean this to be cheesy, but it's cheesy. I'm working on the next book. Yes. Yes, you are. You're you're not only working yeah. on the next book, you've actually had the next book developmentally edited already. That's yes. how far you are. And actually that leads me into my next question, which is you have a truly unique way of reacting to a developmental edit that you have shared with <laughs> us recently. And I'm going to steal, I'm going to use it for the rest of my life. Can you tell us about it and how it works and, and how it's felt? <clears throat> Do you mean this most recent developmental? Edit? The most recent with the <clears throat> letter, the letter that you wrote. Oh, oh, fantastic. So I will say just for a sort of tiny bit of um, information for folks, my first set of developmental edits really, uh, they arrived at the very beginning of the pandemic. And here in Japan, that was a little bit earlier than North America. Um, and it was gutting. And I, and I have to say, I just put those edits away. I couldn't look at them. Mm -hmm. Um, so I wanted better this time and I 
I got the uh, developmental letter and I read through that. That was a sort of Saturday night. And then on Sunday, <clears throat> I had a conversation with my editor, which was really good. And listen, I know this is not for everybody, but for me, I think it's important to have a conversation with my editor. Mm. I think that my um, maybe my natural state would just be to go and hide somewhere mm -hmm. for a little while because there are things that need to be fixed in the book. But my message to myself is, Mona, there are going to be things that need to be fixed in the book. That's why you hired a developmental editor, because you already know that. So I had a conversation with the editor on the Sunday. And then on the Monday, I said, I think it would be really lovely to write a love letter to myself, which is about this novel, why I wrote it, why it matters, just as a sort of gentle reminder to myself. And then um, for me, it was about how will I prioritize the edits that I received? So there were two big sets of, like two big kind of um, issues to be addressed. How could I prioritize those things and break them down so they would be manageable? So, I, so that's what I did. And it's beautiful. And I actually, I continue to go into that letter and to um, work on that order. And it's actually becoming sort of my organizational document for my, for my revisions. It is your organizational document that is based in a true kindness to yourself as a writer instead of what we can so frequently do when we get a developmental editor letter is, which is just to go hide under the bed for, yes. for however it takes, however long it takes to grow back the skin that has just, we have burned off of ourselves. <laughs> the letter doesn't really yes. burn it off of us. We choose to, do we choose to, it hurts. It just hurts. Yeah. And this love letter is best. I feel like your next nonfiction book should be about this. Just, I just want a long extended dance mix of how to write. <laughs> I really do. Oh, and I'm so happy that you do that. And thank you for sharing that with us. What are, what are a couple or three or however many you want of the most joyful things that you have gone through with this book? Mm. So <clears throat> I always I always get so pissed off when I hear people um, just saying mean things about teenagers. Mm. They are endlessly interesting and, uh, of course, passionate and frightened and like all the things that humans are, but um, distilled, right? Like. It just feels very like a really distinctly human experience to be a high school counselor. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I love my time with those kids and I have worked with some like, you know, I, I think about um, over the years working in various countries, I've, I've stayed in touch with some of those students and some of those students as they grew up, as they become became adults have actually become friends. And they're amazing. And so I think there was just something in me that thought those are the characters that I'm drawn to, that kind of energy, <clears throat> excuse me, that kind of energy, the kind of figuring things out, that sort of coming of age is really compelling to me. And I think it's important to say it's also really compelling to me as a reader. 
Like mm-hmm. I am a big reader of YA. Mm-hmm. And again, I think that's a big part of the YA audience is people who are actually not any longer teenagers. Yeah. So one of the great joys was to be able to take that uh, love of YA and the love of actual young people and um, to explore and write about the things that they face and the hilarious things that they say, but also, um, you know, to explore some of the heartbreak of being 16 and have a, a falling out with your, with your very best friend and how it feels just like the loneliest day ever and how, how will you ever be okay again, right? Um, also, in at the beginning of, of this novel, one of the characters moves. And this is a really big part of the international school world, right? Is that you finally have your kind of, you feel like you've got your life set up. I'm, I'm actually laughing because you and I have also moved recently, but um, you, ha- you feel like you have your whole life set up. And then suddenly, you know, in the case of a teenager, your parents say, this is what's happening, girl. Um, yeah, so it felt so joyful for me to be able to explore those ideas and um, yeah, to give life to these particular girls because one of them is uh, is kind of really fierce and doesn't really care very much about the opinions of others. Um, and the other one is more tenderhearted and, uh, and they're just always learning from each other, which which I see happening, right? With, with real teenagers, but also with real grownups. Yeah. Right. We're still talking about joys. That's what we're talking about. Joys. Um, It was, I've heard other people, other guests on your show talk about this, but it's really joyful when you write something that makes you laugh, right? You'll be writing and you'll be sort of laughing along to whatever you've just written, you think, okay, there's something really good there, right? No matter what happens, don't lose this funny bit. So the, the, it's been really joyful to make myself laugh and cry. I think that's, that's been so lovely. Um, I would say also, Rach, it's been like lovely to know that I could do it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because it is, it is hard. All of this is not, is not easy. Every step that you take, especially with the first book you are presented with those, those roadblocks of the things you didn't know that you didn't see coming and, and to make it through is worthy of celebration and to make it through with a book like this. I'm just, I'm feeling so, um, I almost wanted to say to you, I wish that you had been my high school counselor, but then I realized that you kind of are my high school counselor as well. You have been that person to me. Sometimes we get our high school counselor later in life, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like you're doing that work with this book and, and seeing humans so clearly. And I love what you said about teens having that distillation of emotion because it is so powerful when you feel those feelings for the first time, how can you live through this feeling that you've never felt before? And then you don't know that when you're, you know, when you're 50, you'll feel that by like Tuesday morning in the grocery store, but, but then you're used to it. It's not distilled and, and, and you just do such a beautiful job of, of showing that and honoring that. And you're just, you're such a good counselor to the, to Sky and Akari, you know, the ultimate counselor. 
That's really lovely. I think there's, <laughs> there's, um, I was listening to um, the Ally podcast um, yesterday. It was like the newest episode. Mm-hmm. And Orna Ross was talking about uh, like thinking about your kind of influences, your niche and your micro niche. And I really, I really enjoyed that. Like the way that she was like asking people to reflect like, okay, your niche, but then smaller. And mm. I thought, oh, I'm, I think that probably in terms of YA, I am always going to write stories about um, young people who are coming of age. I think there'll be a, a focus on, on girls and young women and who are, it's always through their friendships that they'll be mm. figuring out things about themselves and the world. And I also think, you know, like, um, who's going to save the planet? It's going to be young people, right? If there's any time to feel a kind of passion and a certainty that that you're right, I feel like it's great that that happens at 16. Yes. Um, yes. Right. It, it's also no coincidence that that's the time that young people are also deciding like what to study at university. Uh, I say, let's like, let's let the artists be artists, right? Let's not, let's not force our young artists to become accountants. Yeah. 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 And in a more meta way too, you, you have let your writer be your writer. You are the writer. Yes. You have allowed that in, in this. Can I ask you, Rachel, um, may I say one more thing about that? Of course. Um, There is a, in terms of that tiny, like that niching, it's also that I think in my novels, I'm, I'm going to want to allow the characters to do enough real work on themselves that what, what the reader sees is, ah, that person is becoming her own counselor. Like that person is acquiring this sort of small toolbox of skills, which will expand over her lifetime where she can take care of herself and also the people she loves. That's uh, yeah. That's a great joy. Yeah. yeah, The best. If we, you know, we think about the themes that we carry from book to book and I can absolutely see that being as one of your core truths of your books, because that's what you do with the kids. That's what you do with people. That's what you do with your friends. I have been a, happy recipient of that kind of thing. You may have just kind of hit on a little bit, but would you be able to share a craft tip of any sort with us? Sure. Yeah. I I was thinking about this particular question because I've learned so many from the guests you've had on the show. Um, Here's my my favorite right (laughs) now is called 100 non sequiturs. I learned it from uh, Sarah Selecki, Uh who's a writer and writing teacher. And I can't, it, the context, the course that I was taking with her was about short fiction, which I don't write very much, but this exercise is so brilliant. So you write, um, in my case, I would write 100 non-connected statement sentences from the perspective of that character. So when I was writing uh, Impossible Loves, I wrote 100 statements from the perspective of Sky, wow. and then 100 statements from the perspective of, of uh, Akari, and they're not connected to one each other to one another. So you, so the character might jump from um, fashion to loneliness to um, like her, like her concerns about her dad's new job. So really, you're taking this amazing tour through the character psyche, and as I'm doing that, I got to know 
like really deep things about the way that the characters um, express themselves, like their their voice. And by the time you get to a hundred, right, it's like several pages. You're like, oh, that's how she sounds. That's interesting. Uh, you understand what matters to that character, right? You're beginning, and this was before I really understood the story. So actually, I got some parts of the story from this exercise. Wow, um, like like yeah, arc. And also I would say like a thing that I got from this exercise was I understood by the end of it, oh, that's that's what she values. That's what she cares about. And that's where she's wounded. <gasps> yeah. Oh, oh, goosebumps. That is gorgeous. And I love that it, I'm going to, I'm actually going to do this for the book I'm playing with right now. Um, I love that it's a hundred because 10, I could come up with 10. Oh, yeah. And I could probably get to 40 with no problem. But right around 50, I'm predicting I'm going to run out. Like I'm going to, my brain is going to shut down. And that I always find is where the interesting stuff starts starts to burble up. That's it. Yeah. That's it is to let it like, it's it's like uh, opening a tap, right? Yeah. And then being really patient to see what comes. And again, you know, we've talked about like, like, um, like, pushing energy. It, it, I think that probably doesn't get the same kinds of results. So mm. if you got to um, 60 and you're like, woo, I'm done, then then that's fine. Wander off, make a yeah. sandwich. And I yeah. guarantee that you'll be like, oh, there's 61, right? Like, yeah. That so I, I probably did me. that over the course of um, like over the course of a whole day. Yeah. I am absolutely going to do that. And I've never heard anything like that. Thank you to you. Thank you to Sarah Selecki. That is yeah. awesome. We have been talking about a bunch of kind things, but the but the two questions always pop in here are what what is the kindest thing anyone's ever done for you in your writing career? Or what's the kindest thing you've ever done for yourself as a writer? Would you like to answer either or both of those? Sure. So as a counselor, I think I'm pretty kind to myself. That is a That is a thing that I have learned personally and professionally. But interestingly, during the uh, like the darker days of the pandemic, I also stumbled upon the news that the thing that I could do to be kindest to my writing self is to push myself a little harder mm. uh, to write more, uh, whether it was writing or to revise more frequently for a little longer. Um, yeah, we've talked about this idea, the idea of like, um, uh, like, which bear are you? As Can a, we go into know, that? We've never yeah, talked sure. about this on the show. I would love this. The theory of the bears, please. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe we could both tell which bear we are. Okay. Yeah. I am. I am bear number one. You are bear number I'm one. I'm a hardcore bear number one, which means. Talk about bear number one. Bear number one is, um, this is the way I, this is the way I imagine it. Bear number one wakes up and says, um, today is the day I'm going to solve all the problems and make sure that I let no one down, especially myself. And there is not time to do things that aren't productive. And if I do not successfully do all of the things I have planned to do, then if I am a little bit unkind to myself. If I kind of beat myself up a little bit, then maybe tomorrow I'll be a little bit better. And bear number one in my in my seat that I'm sitting in often gets very tired of that attitude, but she doesn't really know what else to do. She's just got to keep 
telling bear number one, no work, work harder, do a little bit more. You're not, you're not there yet. Would that was, is that what bear number one sounds like to you? That, that absolutely. I, and I think bear number one is sometimes really hard on herself Mm -hmm. and maybe doesn't allow herself, um, a break. Uh, yeah. a vacation, uh, you know, what, not until she whatever. has deserved it. And if until she hasn't she done has enough to deserve it. it, then of course she can't have that yet. Yeah. So bear number two is hilariously uh, really great at giving herself the breaks and the treats. She looks at her life and is like, woof girl, like you, you do a lot Uh, right? You work full time, more than full time. You've got other responsibilities. If you don't feel like writing, that's okay. Uh, But in fact, for bear number two, uh, and this is really about me, it's uh, the writing is a gift I give myself, that it's just the act of writing itself really uh, fills me with joy. And so sometimes I need to push myself harder to get to that point where I can give myself that gift. So it's this sort of cycle of reminding myself, uh, yeah, actually, regardless of the outcome and the, I mean, having a a physical novel in my hands is pretty sweet, but it's sort of regardless of that, the act of writing is so generative. So yes, I do have to push myself harder to get myself into the writing chair. And that's, that's lovely. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yes. So that well, thing that happened was that I really did. I really did get myself to a place where I could say, um, in your mind, this thing that you're giving yourself, which is a break is actually not what's best for you. What's best for you is to get to work. By number two. telling yourself these things incredibly lovingly. Love, love tricking. Love okay. tricking. That's Remember right. Love tricking. Can you tell us a little bit about love tricking? Sure. Sure. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I'm also a life coach and I was working with a client, uh, a man, and he said, listen, he said, Mona, like all this blah, blah, blah. He said, I just want you to tell me how I can trick myself into doing things. And I, I just, I was horrified. I was like, oh no, 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 no. We don't, we don't trick ourselves into doing anything. And then I realized, oh yes, we do. That is, I mean, that is exactly what we're doing yeah. all the time. Yeah. But the way that I have to think about this, just given, given the kind of set of uh, quirks that are me is I have to think of it as love tricking, mm-hmm. right? Tricking myself into doing something in a loving way. Uh, for my own betterment. Or I also, I really love this idea of like, when we do something, heard a number of your guests talk about this, that I'm doing it for my future self. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it works and love tricking works for bears. Number one and bears. Number two, I was just thinking of a, a recent love trick that I've instilled in my life is that I just, I don't, I don't relax enough. I stress out too much. And so after I do things that I don't really want to do, or that I'm, that I'm tired and I don't want it like, you know, a big, big thing of email, then I get to sit down on the couch. Um, then I should, I tell myself, I must sit down on the couch for 15 minutes and read a book. And I'm love tricking myself into relaxing. That's just what other people call relaxing. But if I call it like, well, it's your job, you should read some books. And it's my, also my favorite thing to do. Then I get to do it. And I learned that from you. 
I love that. Isn't that good? You trick yourself into reading and relaxing because yes, as a, as a writer, we must read. I also, I love that you love trick yourself into writing these additional 500 words every day. Yeah. That's by doing the big math. By doing the big math and, and by those 500 words, not mattering. And like today I got 750 because I wasn't bored until 750. And the moment I got bored, I stopped and I thought, oh, I got some extra, but I don't need to get extra. And it's just, and they're not good words. They're just going into this bank of words and I'll do something with them someday. And it is love tricking. It's, it's lovely. And it feels so fun and good. And it's continuing. It's, I've been doing this. It's May now I've been doing this since February, still working. How awesome. So, what did you, yeah. what was the number you said? If you write 500 words a day, it equals 180,000. Yeah. 182. I think it was thousand Over the words course of a year, a year. Yeah. So if I miss that by half, that's still 90,000 words. It's that's a whole still book. a full book. That's still a full book. <laughs> if you only write 500 words a day and you miss half of them, like it's just genius. It's just, it's, 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 it's it's genius. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's the opposite of evil genius. <laughs> it's the good, delicious genius. Yeah. All right. What is the best book that you read recently? And why did you love it? Oh, I'm actually going to put my glasses on so that I can read the title. Uh, it's uh, Emily St. John Mandel's book, The Sea of Twin- Tranquility. Ooh, I haven't read that Sea one. of Tranquility. She also wrote Station Eleven. Yes. Which I haven't read. But the Sea of Tranquility is written from different people's perspectives. One of them is a Canadian writer. I sense a theme. Um, <laughs> and she uh, and she's on book tour. And it involves space travel, like actual space travel. So um, maybe her part is in the not too distant future, but it also involves time travel. So there's a character who's um, who's traveled to British Columbia uh, when it's still just dense forest. I think that's in the 1800s. And then there's a character who lives 300 years in the future. And they are all connected through a forest. That sounds gorgeous. It's uh, it's really lovely. I realized that um, I'm a person who doesn't have a great memory. That's not the realization. I don't have a great memory. And... uh, but what I've realized is the thing that I have left after I've read a really great novel is the feeling that I felt as I was reading it. Mm-hmm. And I just felt such um, such awe. Her, her words, her use of words is magical. Just her prose is so elegant. But I really felt filled with wonder as I was reading from all of those perspectives, very different from each other under very different perspectives. So yeah, I Mm. recommend it. It's gorgeous. Thank you. What a gorgeous recommendation. And Rachel, what have you read? What have you read recently that you love? I read, um, this was a book. I'm going to, I'm going to hit pause because I want to look this up and then I won't have to edit this. Hold on. All right. I found it. It is We All Want Impossible Things by Catherine oh. Newman. Have you not read this? No, I haven't read this yet. I'm I'm not spoiling it because on the first page, we learned that this character is losing her best friend to cancer. It is the novel of friendship, and it is the most joyous, beautiful, wonderful, 
perfect oh. book. It is f- hilarious. And, and I think you will love it. And it'll cool. like rip your heart out of your chest, but in the best way, not in a like, you should read this book because it's so agonizing. You should read this book because it is a perfect rendition of a life well-lived and friendship well-loved. It is, mm, you're going to love it. And I want you to tell oh, me about it, please. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, <laughs> you're welcome. I'm very glad I asked. That was very, very cheeky. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to tell you before, before I forget, I want to tell you about um, kindness to me as a writer. Yes. Uh, a young person who was still a teenager when we first met is named Jun Sekia. He's a, a writer. He lives and works in New York City. And he was the first reader, the very first reader before my partner, before Damien, of the novel when he was, uh, I don't know, 17 or 18. And uh, I had a little conversation with him and said, hey, you know me as your counselor, but I'm kind of a sensitive bear. And I want to tell you about what things might be helpful when you give me feedback. And he was like, okay. And so he took in those notes and then gave me really amazing feedback. How good stuff first. Uh, My partner who has done in the nine years while I've been writing this novel, way more than his fair share of the work to maintain our home and our life. uh, I think that's really big. You know, in the in the history of writers, um, there's not such a mystery why most of those names on the spine were men's names, because um, women made their lives, their writing lives, their careers possible. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's really lovely. Uh, my partner is Damien Pitter, and he he really has made this. Uh, yeah, he's made this possible. And also, uh, I want to say to you, and I will—I promise I will not embarrass you, but to you as my teacher, I've been really lucky to work with a number of great teachers. And one of your greatest strengths as a teacher is you're helping each one of your students to become the writer that they need to be, right? You don't, you don't have like Rachel Heron's um, six easy steps to being <laughs> a, a best-selling author. Like that's not your thing. Your thing yeah. is, I, I'm going to teach you how to write and revise and how to trust yourself as a writer. So thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Oh, thank you for saying that. And thank you for not making me cry, which is one of uh, your superpowers. So and that, um, I appreciate, I appreciate that. I appreciate you, yeah. Mona. Um, the 38 impossible loves of Naoko Nishizawa is out now. It'll be out in paperback, hardcover, ebook. Yes. All yes, three of those things. things. Yes. It is an incredible cover. Um, I, this is my, I know this is a long episode, but it's you and it's me and we're friends and this is so fabulous. May I ask you please? Cause I love to hear this. How did it feel when you opened the first copy and held it in your hands printed as a book? Bonkers. <laughs> Just just so surreal. Did you uh, cry? Did you get shivers? Did you did or did what did did you kiss the paper? Did you stroke it? Did you smell it? What what did you do? So it came in a large box because I'd ordered other things like a like a couple of towels and spray and wash. <laughs> and so the so so the novel was the novel was at the you know so it wasn't like what you, it wasn't like a beautiful unboxing like you see on YouTube or on um, TikTok. 
Uh, so I had to kind of dig around in this and Damien was sitting with me and I had to dig around in this big box and it was on the bottom. And I was like, oh, uh, like someone at Amazon didn't know that this was this person's first novel. Right. So I I, I pulled it out. I, I will say that, like, I kind of examined it to make sure that yeah. it wasn't, you know, that no novels had been harmed in the shipping. But um, I think I this is actually the thing that I did was like I just held it against my heart. It just feels like such a tender thing. And then, mm-hmm. and then honestly, I, I looked inside and was like, oh yes, the cream paper was the right decision. <laughs> those are words. And I, I remember saying to Damien, look, those are, those are, those are all my words. It came and from your brain. For all of your listeners who've written or who have read, no, who have written many novels, they'll sort of be giggling at that. But I think when you're looking at your very first book, that's it. You're like, I wrote all of these words. The decision to have these long kind of hokey 18th century titles to every chapter just filled me with delight. I love those chapter headings. And and honestly, I still do the flip through when I get the book. I still do the flip through and I still get the amazement that I wrote all those words and then I'll let my eye will land on a sentence and I'll be like, oh, that's a good sentence. And then I will think the next thought is, it took me so long to get that sentence. Like, <laughs> that, that was not an easy sentence or, you that's know, great. those kind of things. So yes. Oh, thank you for sharing that with us. Yes. Where can we find you, please? Mm. I'll put my glasses back on. Um, I'm uh, on the internet at monamcdermott.com. Will you spell that for us? Because for people who of just course, need of to see it in their heads. M-O-N-N-A and McDermott is M-C-D-I-A-R-M-I-D. Yep. So my website's Mona McDermott. And I'm on Instagram as Mona McDermott writes, and I'm on Patreon as Mona McDermott. And that's it. That's really, that's all the, that's all the places. I and you, be... but I will point out, you have an, uh, a lovely newsletter too, that you can subscribe oh, to yes. on yes. your website, you... which people should do. If you have enjoyed Mona's style and flavor and, and voice, then go get on that right now. I love getting both your email newsletter and I love being a patron and getting that. Thank you. Yes. If you go to monamcdermott.com, there's a place to subscribe and also uh, a place where I have been and will be again now that the novel is coming out is uh, Ease Lessons for Writers. Yes. So my pot, my podcast. Um, yeah. That's a, that's, that's a, just a really fun place to have conversations with other writers about their process and um, I'm also going to be doing a few kind of very small, um, like episodes about this process, about what I've learned. Yes. Uh, you know, if that might be helpful for other people who um, maybe they're working on their first book and they're just like, they just, they really feel like all I need is the confidence to go through this next step. So there'll Please. be some, some just, just with Mona kind of mini episodes and then again, oh. more conversations with writers. I love your show, Ease Lessons. Readers, you want to go subscribe to that. So Mona, thank you for being with me here today. I appreciate you so much. And I love this book. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you for everything. And thanks for inviting me to talk about it. It's been really lovely. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? 
You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelherring.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a fucking essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelherring.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends. Mm-hmm.